I will often ask, what's the minimum I can give you to enable you to do the best job you can do? And that's what lean is to me. Hi everyone. Thanks for tuning into Notes of Design to help support our mission spread knowledge. We have a very special guest on today's episode. Let's welcome Rich McCoy, who is a highly experienced creative leader who's passionate about his work and has led teams for Trade Me and National Wide Building Society. His creative endeavors have seen him working at celebrated agencies such as LBI, Isobar and Satachi and Satachi. He's currently contracting for Air France KLM via Isobar Paris, working from New Zealand. Apart from his day job rich also runs art practices a vegan cooking photo blog and mentoring a new generation of creatives in this episode rich had shared great insights on lean design practices and how different is the lean word on the design side we then spoke on what are the different ways in scaling lean practices across organization without compromising on the quality then we spoke on how to use lean practices to increase rapid innovation and how design thinking integrated within the lean practices could help boost the productivity we then concluded the show by rich recommending us few tips on developing the lean mindset hope you guys enjoyed this episode and on every friday we release new episodes with different creative leaders from around the world to help you better understand different concepts related to design so don't forget to tune in into notes of design every friday with that being said happy designing everyone Hi Rich, welcome to Notes of Design. It's a pleasure hosting you today on our show. Hi, how are you? Pleasure to be here as well. So Rich, how was your day? It was wonderful. The sun is shining. Uh, we took a little road trip down to Akaroa. You know, just had a little trip out with the twins. It's, it's beautiful. That's wonderful, Rich. So if you could give a brief about yourself to our audience out there. So, okay. So yeah, I'm Rich McCoy. I'm a senior design lead at the moment for Air France KLM. Uh, I'm contracted through Isobar Paris, um, but as you can see, I'm working from under the stairs uh, in Christchurch, New Zealand, which means I get up at 2 a.m. in the morning and, and work through, then kind of sleep for most of the day. I kind of, I got here a long way time ago. I started in the mid-90s working in design after graduating from a fine art sculpture degree back when there were only a handful of us sort of really working in design you know we were one of the first waves of, of designers and, and it, the landscape was very different there very very different we all felt like pioneers um and you know you get to count contemporaries like jeffrey zeldman and christian Heilman and, and these guys as as your your contemporaries and it was it was fantastic but things change and diversify and the field got more complex and and, and more interesting um, but yeah now i mainly kind of manage teams of design teams as well as working a bit hands-on um through for clients in-house and in agencies and specializing in digital predominantly i've done other projects but it's mostly digital alongside that i run a, a mentoring and coaching business for creatives but that's not necessarily digital creatives i, I work with everything from sort of leather workers and jewelers and potters and painters and poets and all that kind of stuff and try and help them overcome a lot of those creative demons that they have um, that you learn how to overcome when you're working commercially and i paint still and, and sculpt and make things and, and do everything I can to be creative around having a young family of two 13-month-old twins. Thank you so much, Rich, for sharing no this wonderful journey with us. So what are your tips to the beginners on how to start into creative fields? 
my main tip is to is to turn up and do the work. If you're interested in it, turn up and do the work. Don't ask for permission to do work. Just do it. Do it for yourself. Show enthusiasm and, and, and creativity and flair. And, you know, don't don't wait for somebody to come and give you an opportunity. Go and, and make stuff. Prove to people you can make stuff. Network. Like, be friendly. Go out and talk to people and do things like this. Yeah, you know, just, just be a good person. But, but do the right thing by people, you know? It's every massive opportunity I've ever had in, in any field has been as a result of just being a good person, you know? it's payback for for doing right by somebody and that's that's really important and be just be enthusiastic and be focused you know thank you so much Fitz. so let's begin our episode today with design practices so what exactly are lean design practices so for me lean design practices is about getting the maximum return about with doing the least work um whether it's come about by me being sort of incredibly busy juggling too many plates as a design lead and kind of doing pastoral care of designers and design teams and you know making sure that systems are working and and such like this as well as working on squad you've got to learn how to make your use of time incredibly effective so like i say it could be laziness it could be it could be being too busy or it could be through a love of you know i've had a a decades-long love of sort of both taoist and, and zen buddhist principles it's about being really effective with your with your time that in a nutshell is 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 what lean is for me it's about getting the greatest return out of the minimum effort that's wonderful Reed. so we often hear this term lean manufacturing at the manufacturing production side of industry so how is it there in the design world and the design side and how could people implement it i couldn't talk about manufacturing i know nothing about manufacturing but for me so what it tends to do is that if i can get away with just giving a drawing to a development team so that they can build it rather than spending what what i see far too many designers in my career have done and in, in my history have done is they will spend weeks locked in what was then photoshop to sketch to, to whatever it is tool, hours and days because it's a comfortable place to be and you create a polished design and it's all very beautiful but that's not what gets on the screen that's not what a user sees and if you've got a design system in place already why are you spending this time polishing and polishing and polishing and polishing you know it's so when i when i'm working in squad i will often ask what's the minimum i can give you to enable you to do the best job you can do. And that's what lean is to me. So if it's if it's a pencil drawing on the back of a, a napkin, then that's what they need. And then that's what I'll do because I'll go off and make sure a designer is not ruining their career or do something like that instead. So what are the different ways in scaling these lean practices across an organization? I think one of the main things is to, is to have... It, so it doesn't work with everything. So if you were to doing a marketing campaign or something like that, then you can't really do lean practices. Not not that I've seen anyway. I think it works best when you're working in an environment which is which you're you're creating digital projects, products even, um, and you're you're refining those products and you're iterating upon those things. You've you've got an area of predictability as to how things are, are going to hit the screen. Ideally, you would have an implemented design system. Now I always think that if you if you're running a product, you should have a design system in place, or you should be working towards having a design system in place for an evolutionary design system at least. So those are the best frameworks within where you can do that stuff. And the benefits are not just about getting stuff to market really quickly, but it's also really helps with squad engagement as well. So what I would tend to do and, and I and I really advocate is you know, sit down with your product owner 
and sit down with you with your development team with a pencil and a piece of paper, maybe more than one pencil, and draw with them. Just use and like just do that. And then when there's questions and stuff or or there's a slight misunderstanding, it's like a designer's job is not about creating beautiful screens. A designer's job is about understanding the problem and and, and creating solutions for that problem. Getting a team involved is is often part of that problem, you know. So if you're trying to solve that and you're working in concert with the development team or testers or product owners and there's something that's not quite clear pass the pencil over there's no shame in passing the pencil over to the developer go can you just show me what you mean that way the design solution becomes a shared solution that to me is one of the best ways of working out us and them issues that you can sometimes get in squads where you could develop so i don't it's designers. It's it's a real good way of, of creating agency in the design solution for all parties involved, because what you're doing is you're avoiding that situation where you've got the designer as the precious kind of prima donna. It's like the designer is really the instigator of the design doer of the design, so to speak. Thank you, Rit. So in Lean, usually the things happens in a fast manner. So are there mm. any ways in which the quality should not be compromised as well as these practices have to be effective? I think it's really important that the, the quality isn't compromised. I really agree with that. And I think, like as I mentioned earlier, one of the surefire ways of making sure that the quality isn't compromised is that you do have a system in place. You have an agreed set of standards, as well as you are inviting the developers into the design process or the product owners into the design process you also invite yourself into the development process so you sit with with developers and you you see what they do because you've invited them into your world they invite you back and it becomes it comes up this sounds really flower and poetic it becomes like a beautiful dance of opinions and efforts and everybody's working towards the same goal much more much more in union so you, you tend to get asked about micro interactions more and you know the placing on the screen when you see it on a developer screen rather than it being in in a design program so you can get you, you get to see that the quality is actually being delivered because you really are working in concert with the whole team rather than here's my design, I do that, move on. I'm, I'm far too precious to be doing some of this. I'm going to go and do something else. That's not how we should work. Thank you, Rich. So how could companies integrate the lean design practices to increase their rapid innovation process? Mm. I, I, I definitely believe in setting up at least a pathway for a design system set up and really work on making sure that there is there is emotional safety within the team so that a developer feels okay to suggest something with design you know or it feels okay to accept the pencil when offered you know kind of put in those those systems but also release quickly you know have a, a maximum of two week release cycle just get stuff out iterate test like Put it out into little bits. Make sure that it's all right. Always make sure that the designer has cited what's going out before it goes out. Nobody likes those surprises. <laughs> Thank you, Rich. So you mentioned iterate and uh, redesign things, something like uh, the design thinking thing. So how do you think that lean design works with design thinking methodologies and principles? I think what it does is it, it everybody has agency in design, in the, but the designer owns the process. I think that answered the question. I hope so. <laughs> that's a very quick short answer <laughs> <laughs> it's a lean answer is what it is <laughs> <laughs> great thank you so much so how do we figure no, out fine. where the product market fit is in this lean design practice methods i think i think with any large scale projects this is where you can start doing things i mean i started doing this 
really whilst working at TradeMe. The TradeMe is New Zealand's kind of eBay, Amazon property market. It's the biggest e-commerce system here currently. Um, and we had we had lots of different teams, lots of different product teams working on this one big system. I think for, for, for big, big websites like the Amazons, like the Ebays, like the TradeMe's, these big things, it works really, really well. Like I mentioned before, it doesn't work so well if you're doing a pure design marketing communications piece unless you've got that investment in in a design system and 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 how we do things um in place it's one of those i suppose it's you're putting all the hard work in getting the design system and not all the hard work in the day-to-day because i think otherwise what tends to happen is that you get you get designers focused on details and not on solving big problems thank you Rit. so how could designers can build lean mindset individually yeah I think I think that's a really interesting one. It's about for me it's about getting primal, you know? It's about not being afraid to pick up a pencil and draw. The way I introduced the way I introduced this concept to team I was working with or the teams I was working with is we had a, a big conference once every quarter and I commissioned a graffiti artist to create three large pieces of work and stood up in front of like 200 people and gave them all pencils and pens and invited them all to learn how to draw. And I think it's about opening, and they all contributed to this one piece. It's about opening up that dialogue. That's one of the main things that designers need to learn. It's about it's about not being afraid to do what you did when you were young. Like everybody drew when they were little. Everybody did. And it's a it's incredibly fast and and visceral. And if you just let yourself go with it, it's a really rewarding design process you're still going to need to get on the computer and and, and go in your design programs and, and polish certain things but if you can get away with doing it with a pencil and paper do it that's great Rich. so as you mentioned like trust humility and courage is something a very important mm. factor in building a lean mindset so oftentimes when we collaborate in larger circle it's not required that everyone has these circles so how could an individual can incubate these into other people I think just by doing it. That's how I did it. I just started doing it. And you see how the response is. And the response is normally, well, I've, I don't know whether it is for everybody, but I've never had a negative response to this practice. I've had a few people going, I'm not, I'm not drawing. And you go, fair enough. Like, if you don't want it, you don't want it. That's fine. But tell me what you want. You know, it's, it, it's just being really open open and honest and full of integrity and with that mindset of we, we want to solve the problem, not I want to look like a, a rock star designer. That's not what it's about. That's wonderful, Rich. I mean, the first time, first time I decided to, to do this, I was, I was managing, I think, 12 designers and I was working on a squad and we had to raise the bar for premium products by X million um, with a trajectory moving forward. And I just wasn't having the time to do it. I wasn't having the time to sit in squad. There's, you know, that's a lot of designers to look after and a big, complicated organization. So I sat down with the, with the product manager going, right, what is it we have to do? You know, what, what is it we have to solve? And we discussed what the problem was. It was like, well, why don't we just move the button? And I went, okay, you don't need me to sit down and design the page with the button moved from left to right, do you? No. So we just found a napkin and I scribbled it on the back of a napkin. And this napkin was taken around the whole organization right up to board level. Um, <laughs> and we got approval on it from board level based on uh, a Sharpie illustration on the back of a napkin. And we released it within two days. And it's like, if that's all you need to do, that's all you need to do. And it's great. And sometimes you do need to do a polished design because you, but then don't automatically jump for doing that polished design. It's not, it's not what it's about. 
Thank you so much, Rich. So let's talk about the importance of personal projects in being a contented, well-rounded yes, creative. Definitely. I think this goes back to my advice for young design in that when I'm when I'm recruiting for a designer, I want to know that they're not just doing this as a job, that they've got that love of creativity and the love of the craft, because it's really important to 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 have people who are well-rounded in in a team. I mean, I do all sorts of different things outside of design. You know, I paint, I sculpt, I do photography with old 120 millimeter cameras. I do things like this where I'm, I'm fixing teacups with gold and there's <laughs> all sorts of stuff because I'm invested in creativity. And that's what I look for in designers when I'm recruiting them is I want somebody who's invested in creativity. Also within product design, it can be it can be quite creatively stifling at times. And if you, it's a weird thing. And, you know, I want people who are drawn to creativity, but then we're not always giving them the opportunity to be creative. So I know that if somebody has illustration projects that they're working on outside, it's great because it allows them a steam valve to let off that creativity and it keeps them interested and it creates a really lovely dialogue. You know, in previous organizations, we would invite people to share what what extracurricular activities they did, Um, you know, and it was wonderful. Like I shared paintings. We had people who were illustrators, were font designers. Um, I even had a, a designer who was a rapper. And he would rap in Tamil. And it was just phenomenal. And it, and it just creates a really rich, diverse culture of, of people who, who are all creatively invested, who all have three-dimensional characters. And I think it's I think it's a really good thing to prove, you know, if I'm looking at a portfolio of client work and I can see personal projects, I get excited. I was like, there's something I can talk to you about. There's something I can learn from you, something you can teach the other team, the rest of the teams. Yeah, it's um, it really is important for me as an employer of creative people. Thank you so much, Rich, for sharing all these yeah. wonderful insights with us. Could you please share with us how does your typical day look like or any interesting stories? <laughs> sure. My typical days are quite extraordinary. So my client is in Amsterdam and I'm in New Zealand um, and the copywriter I work with is in Canada. So we have we have some interesting times. I tend to wake up at 1.30 a.m. I grab a cup of coffee and something simple to eat. And my first meeting is usually at 2, 2 a.m. So they last a couple of hours and then I spend the next few four, four five, six hours designing, get up, take my son to work, to school uh, and then go to bed. <laughs> and then the twin babies that we've got they they come to bed as well and we we sort of sleep till about one in the afternoon and then go out and enjoy the wonderful freedom we have in in Christchurch New Zealand um that's that's roughly what my day looks like yeah it's um it's quite unusual i'm i'm not 100% sure how how long i can sustain it i've been doing it since december um four days a week it's yeah, it's hard. It's really hard. It, um, but it's also it affords me a great deal of freedom to to enjoy life. Um, yeah, who sees? Who, who knows? This the the employment market is very strong in New Zealand. So we'll see what happens. Thank you so much Rich, for sharing all these wonderful <laughs> stories and insights. So let's conclude this show by you recommending three favorite books of yours. Okay, I think my three favorite books. Which ones have I? There's um, Dr. Seuss's The Places You Will Go. I you know. I read that to, to children and it's one of my favorite books to buy for friends who have children. It's a wonderfully inspiring story. I know there's been some stuff going on with Dr. Seuss recently. I don't really know the details of it. I, I don't I don't think that it should get in the way of this 
wonderful, inspiring story that's very real and honest. You know, sometimes you'll win and sometimes you won't. It's that's a cracker. As a child, now I'm I'm quite badly dyslexic. Um, and as a child, the first book I read was, I think I was about 11 or 12, was the whole Lord of the Rings series, which is kind of ironic seeing as I'm now in New Zealand. Um, as a sort of flight of fancy, it, it was just phenomenal. It, it, it got me interested in books. It got me interested in literature. You say what you want about the quality of the writing and whatever. It was just a phenomenal book as a young man. And the third one is, is what I have on my desk right now. And it's a, it's a book I go back to over and over again. And I'm going to try and pronounce the guy's name. It's a Japanese name. So I'll probably do it really badly. It's a Shunyoi Masuno and it's called Zen, uh, The Art of Simple Living. Uh, he is a, a Zen monk who's, who's written these books about just normal life and how, how to take those principles into normal life. I find, I find that approach really helpful when things are very stressful. Um, and really helpful just as a general way of living. Those are my three books. Um, with regards inspirations, wow, that's that's a long one. It's 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 difficult to choose just three people because I think there are so many people that that um that inspire you in one way or another. Um I was fortunate enough to work with an artist called Ralph Steadman, who's somewhat infamous in the art circles. He um he was the illustrator for Hunter S. Thompson. Um so quite renowned. He just turned up, I think, after my 21st birthday at, at university. And I'd, I'd known his work and, and admired his work. And they just asked me to film him doing screen printing. I was like, oh, OK. I was quite badly hungover, but I kind of figured he, him having hung out with Hunter S. Thompson, he'd seen much worse. And it was just a really, really wonderful experience as a young man to, to, to spend time with somebody who was so accomplished in his, in his work and so confident in, in his own personal brand and his eccentricity. Um, and I can remember we were sitting around and we were eating cucumber sandwiches, which is very English, very, very English. Um, and he said, uh, he sort of joked and he signed a piece of work. He said, it's a piece of work is not a piece of art unless it's signed. And he was like, nah, that's rubbish. A piece of art is not a piece of art until it's sold. And it's, um, it's a wonderfully crass, but, but a, a beautiful approach to to viewing art is like in this day and age you've got to make a living and so that was really helpful second inspiration i think would be the wonderful late um vaughan oliver as a designer now, he was the record cover designer for 480 records when i was growing up uh 23 envelope and so he did record covers for Pixies and Throwing Muses and, and all these wonderful bands that I kind of found myself getting really interested in as a, as a young man. And, you know, I started painting leather jackets. And so I was ended up painting his work on leather jackets. And just randomly out of the blue, I got an email from a guy called Simon Labastalia. And I recognized the name. And that was a photographer that worked with Vaughan. So the, a lot of the work I was actually doing was, was Simon's work. He, I, I, put a screensaver together for a band called Tortoise in, um, in, in America and, and he downloaded it and he just wanted to talk to me about it. You're somebody whose work I admire. And then I got talking to, to Fawn Oliver as well. So it's wonderful, you know, these, these two, well, these three in that case, but um, people whose work has inspired me that I've ended up kind of knowing. Unfortunately, Vaughan passed a couple of years ago, um, but I just I found his approach to work really whimsical and beautiful. It's not UX work or anything like that. It's just beautiful design, like inspiring design that, you know, and record covers 
design is one of those things that I really want to do more of. I've only done a handful of them, but I, I find it um, so inspiring. It's such a challenge to to be able to portray the emotive qualities of a piece of music in a visceral form. You know, it's, um, it's something I want to do in some personal projects with regards to poetry. Um, and who would the third be? I think, I think, um, I think Mark Rothko, the the painter, the, the modernist painter Mark Rothko, because I think because of the the love of Lean, I think Mark Rothko achieves so much by doing what looks like very little. They're just their color blocks they're very heavy and you know i remember somebody saying that the mark rothko room at the tate was one of the most serious places on the earth it's probably a little bit pompous to be fair it's it's a painting but i get it you know I, I, there's a lot achieved it's almost like visual haiku you know there's there's so much depth achieved with so little and it's closes the circle on the thinking about lean for me it's like you do so much by doing so little um Thank you so much, Rich, for sharing all these wonderful recommendations with us. We are looking forward to host no you again in our upcoming episode. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ted.